Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Nick Flanagan is a very funny comedian, writer, and actor who hails from Toronto, Ontario, but currently calls California home. Known for his endearingly dark stand-up and for fronting bands like Wrong Hole and Brutal Nights, whom you can hear right now in the background with their song, So Weak. Speaking of weak, Flanagan's first comedy album, I'm Here All Week, was released six years ago. This month, Comedy Dynamics will put out his new record, Wiped Privilege, and Flanagan plans to play some shows to help spread the word. Joining me now, I believe, from somewhere in California is the great uh, Nick Flanagan. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm pretty good. <laughs> it's nice to have you on the show. Where where in the world are you? Was I accurate? Yeah, I'm in Eagle Rock, California. Bordering. Eagle Rock? I, mm-hmm. I've never heard of that. Eagle Rock is an area in Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles, uh, specifically in Eagle Rock. I'll be, uh, I'm, I'm kind of bordering South Pasadena, and I'm just north of uh, historic... Highland Park, historic Washington Heights, historic Lincoln Heights, historic Cypress Park, historic Glassell Park. I don't think I'm actually quite, I mean, I'm north of Glassell Park, but um, yeah. Uh, Eagle Rock is an area where, what is some famous stuff that's here? The, they filmed the, the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs on Eagle Rock Boulevard at a place called, oh, I think, uh, right. Larry and... So some diner and uh, something Lorraine's and uh, I don't know Eagle Rock. Uh, um, it's an unsung portion of uh, Los Angeles, but uh, there's people here. You know, there's a there's a company called Eagle Rock that tends to release uh, music concerts and music video, like sort of music related stuff. It's called Eagle, Eagle Rock Entertainment. Have you heard of that? I think I have. And that's what I immediately thought of. I thought maybe you were calling me from their factory. No, I don't. I don't work for that company. You don't work for the company. We're not plugging. No. This is not just an elaborate way of plugging the Eagle Rock music production company. No. That okay. would be a great reason to move to America to work for a music <laughs> company, but that's just not my story. It's not how, how long have you been in Eagle Rock or in California? Uh, I've been kind of on and off since January. I got a work visa, so... I uh, have been bouncing around, and uh, I've been here fairly solidly since, like, late June or late May. I don't know. It's okay. hard to say. Okay, and yeah. what, what exactly, I mean, I presume it was work, but can we home in on that? What kind of work are you doing out there? Um, well, I actually am just legal to work, so I don't actually have, like, a... A steady job here as much as I could have used it. it just didn't happen oh so uh i've been doing um wait a minute just before you continue with what what you've been mm-hmm. doing wouldn't a work visa be predicated on you actually having work 
Um, yeah, I mean, the work visa was to work at a specific thing with my friend, but that's been delayed, so I've just been doing, um, you know, the other things. I can freelance within the work visa, so. Oh, okay. And and so, the other yeah. thing is a, a bigger project that you, uh, where you pitched it to someone or something? I mean, yeah, it was my friend who uh, writes for a bunch of shows, um, also is, uh, 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 you know, she. We had an idea, and then that was the sort of crux of the pitch, and then that visa got accepted. And so, luckily, it's a long visa, so I can wait it out until my friend stops being busy. Oh, I see. Okay. So, what kinds mm. of work have you been doing uh, while you uh, wait this out, as you call, as you say? I've been. Well, I mean, I've been doing what I'm kind of legally able to do, which is mostly I can do live performance, and I can do writing and acting so i've been auditioning for stuff and getting representation and i mean honestly the first six months was just like uh you know it's just it's just a big uh big change it's just a big adaption and i've been working a lot on getting the album out too right so and then also i've been doing some work you know kind of through canada from out here so just to, to stay afloat so like been, right, writing uh, work Mostly writing work, yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, uh, in terms of the acting, the last thing I think I saw you in might have been a commercial, actually. It might have been a commercial for either a computer company or a, a like a technology chain. Is that? Am I wrong about that? I mean, I did a Dell commercial in late 2013. Oh, is that the... That that's right. And I saw you on the TV. It was like during... A, it was on an American television network, and I think I was probably watching basketball and there you were there i was like that's my friend nick yeah yeah it was uh, they aired it during the olympics it was very widely aired yeah so a lot of people saw uh, saw your mug uh and also andrew andrew rodriguez of uh formerly of the band bodega and uh there's a lot of current bands as well right oh he's in the ad too yeah yeah we filmed it in uh, uh cape town i think and also bangkok for me, Re but, really, wow, yeah, that's yeah. that's a that's amazing, and they so you get to travel for these corporate gigs, if you will. Well, very occasionally you do. Although this year I also traveled for a job. So is that fun? Like I, I you're not your background is not acting, right? I mean, I've I like it. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been interested in it forever, and I've been a performer <laughs> in the beginning of a you know, in a, in a band, and I don't know how to play any instruments. So, in fact, I would say it's one of my primary interests. <laughs> but I, I, so, I guess it would be foreground. I'll give you that as an out. <laughs> it's more sure. of my foreground than my background. I mean, I've really, like, uh, cobbled together an interest in, uh, I've really cobbled together uh, this mixture of, like, money from acting and uh, writing uh, and... Um, some comedy, you know, for the last few years. But no, I mean, I, I loved acting. I, and and uh, I, I, I've taken a little bit of it, uh, workshops and stuff, but I, I kind of do free fall. You should see the movies I was, uh, I, was I was in. What, wait, so, you, what movies are you in? Tell me about the movies. I was like, I, a, I was a lead in the movie Diamond Tongues. And I was like second from Leah, Leah Faye Goldstein of... July Talk, who is the lead in the film Diamond Tongues, which you should see. It's on Netflix on Canada, I think. Okay. Diamond, and, Diamond Tongues, did you say? Yeah, it did really well, actually. And then uh, the director of that, Pavan Mundi, brought me back for a movie uh, called The Sundowners that came out in... Um, where did it come out? It, it was filmed in Colombia at the beginning of 2016. So that was like one of my main jobs this year, really. Oh, wow. Like, okay. See, I didn't, I try to keep track of what you're up to, but it's kind of hard because you yeah. seem to be moving around a lot. But I sent you that massive press release. It was filled, it was chock full of information. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you, are you actually uh, making fun of me for asking open-ended general <laughs> questions and seeming uninformed because I know you as a friend and, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from there. I read your press release. I, I'm just trying to ask questions for people who are listening and, uh, you know. Oh, I, I see. Yeah. I see. This is, uh, 
this is a uh, sort of uh, uh, this is kind of a tactic. Well, it's just a way of getting you to smile. you know we you you know this uh, the internet is yes. rife with misinformation, Nick. Right. Yeah. So even when I get a press release from my friend, if it's in uh-huh. my email, I look twice suspiciously. Yeah. I'm like, who? Where did this information come from? I just interviewed. Do you know that band from Toronto, Diana? Yes. So I talked to them, and I quoted, paraphrased from my brain, their press release back to them. I said, it, I, in a press release, it said it took you two weeks to make your first record. And they said, that's not true. And then another yeah. one of them said, yeah, that's weird. Someone else asked us that last night. And I said, yeah, it's in your press release. Who wrote your press release? And they said, we did. They got their own <laughs> press release wrong, Nick. Well, I will admit, I mean, I don't, I don't remember... Uh, a lot of things. I used to write press releases of sorts for Brutal Nights that were just insane. Right. But for you know, for the old band, and then when you say they were uh, insane, were there the, was there a lot of fabrication? I think. I mean, they were just whimsical. Right. <laughs> they were just full on whimsy. You know, un, unbridled, and uh, they just didn't have a lot of facts. I mean, it, they were just mostly like these guys got together and recorded. But like, I would sort of say it in a very complicated roundabout way. Sure. Um, there's still evidence of those actually kicking around the internet, I think. But uh, this this particular press release, it was just like ever since I got MailChimp, you know, I've just been... I do a newsletter now on my website <laughs> that you can, like, sign up for, and I send out a newsletter, and I like doing that. And... Um, and so I, I kind of buckled down, and I feel, like, very committed to making, like, a good press release, um, which is a shame because, you know, I sent that to all these this press people that I had, and I just uh, – who knows what they're thinking or if they click on it. Well, I actually do because of MailChimp. Right, because MailChimp will tell you literally <laughs> who has opened your press yeah. release or your newsletter. So did you – By the way, you, you did great. <laughs> <laughs> I think you probably it, it actually tells you for those of you who've never used these <laughs> services it'll actually if you really want to kind of quietly stalk someone's comings and goings if they're a subscri- subscriber to your Mailchimp uh newsletter you can see how many not only if they've opened it how many times so you can be like oh wow yeah. for some reason uh Johnny opened that press that news everyone else clicked it once he went at it 750 times. What's wrong yeah, with that I guy? Also, I had to send out two press releases this time because in the interim, you know, I sent out the one because I was expecting to put the thing out independently. And then uh, after I sent out the first press release, I kind of found a few more email like companies I wanted to contact and Comedy Dynamics was one of them. I just wanted to... I think when you put something out, it's good to, like, tell all the people you can think of about it. Whether or not you should tell, if you know publicists, tell them about it. If you know people who have labels, tell them about it. If you know, you know... Yeah, pe- yeah. It, it, I think it's useful and annoying, but... <laughs> I mean, you, you, would, you would have some experience with this just being in bands, too, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty annoyingly uh, DIY, I think, in... Um, what I've been doing, you know, like I've just been always sort of addicted to doing it myself. And I don't know whether me doing it myself is the problem or the solution, you know, like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if, if I, uh, if it's something I can ever stop, I would love to stop, but it, it sort of gets tough if that makes any sense, you know, because you just get used to, sending things out yourself and, you know, trying to make it happen. It's yeah, just... you you, uh, you would be the type of person, I think, that if you were to hand over the reins of your career and your livelihood to someone else, you would still need to be hands-on about it, right? I think so. I mean, I always hear about people being like that, um, and uh, it seems uh, like a good way to be, you know? It seems like... Uh, that was what uh, Jay Retard was like that, you know? And uh, I think that he was pretty successful because of how devoted he was to making it happen. But trust me, that's, like, not going to happen. 
with what I'm doing. <laughs> Where because uh, if someone is having me, you know, like Comedy Dynamics, for instance, I'm asking them a bunch of questions, but I don't think I'm being like completely out of my, you know, like annoying about it. I think I'm just like, here's a press release. Do you guys think this is? Do you, are you going to send out a press release? And you know. Like, no, I, I like I I have to deal with uh, comedy dynamics in my role as a a, a person who wants to hear and uh, hear stand up records, comedy records, and and also uh, talk to people who make them. And they uh, send out a lot of stuff. Actually, they're a very prolific label. Uh, uh, really picking up, uh, filling a void on some level that Comedy Central. I used to get a ton of stuff from Comedy Central, and then it seems to have sort of died down. I get things every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, Comedy Dynamics and Comedy Records are a couple of new labels. They seem to be new anyway. I don't know their history. but The history is interesting. Um, I mean, the, the, the truth is uh, that it's, it was started by the president, the, the former president of Comedy Central Records, started Comedy Dynamics. So What's his name? I don't have his name handy, but, um, yeah, I, I, was, I looked into it after I sent them the email because I wrote them this, e- okay. this email, and uh, I just – was I, it wasn't even an email. It was on their contact form. And I was like, would you guys want to hear the album? And they were like, sure. And then they did, and they were just like, you know, do you have someone distributing it? And I said, no. And I thought, you, you know, that the trade-off made sense because of what you were just talking about. They're a pretty decent, you know, they have a good, very good profile. They've, they've worked on so much stuff I think is good, you know? Yeah. Which yeah. is like probably the biggest plus for me. I'm just like, you know, so now both of my records, uh, the albums I put out, have had uh, labels. So it feels kind of good. No, it's great. And I want to talk more about your, your stand-up stuff and, and uh, the new record, White Privilege, in a, in a moment. But I want to go back to the writing stuff that you were talking about earlier and, and maybe even some of the acting because uh, it's recently become a, a major fascination for me, uh, your work as a writer because I've been exploring the work, uh, the, rather the realm of children's entertainment. Um, yeah. Uh, and the, the, the fact that uh, when I watch, sometimes I have to watch uh, these uh, kid shows uh, with, my, with my children. And um, one of the treats when I'm watching a, a network like TVO Kids here in Canada is that uh, some of my comedy friends are either acting or you know playing characters on some of these shows Mm -hmm. or some of them are writing episodes and i was really excited uh because uh on a few occasions now actually Mm -hmm. i've seen uh your name written by nick flanagan for an episode of odd squad or something like right yeah i wonder if you can talk a little bit about your entry point into that world and and why it made sense for but also i want to point out like these are often edgy comedians like it's a bit of it was initially a slight jolt for me to see the kids in the hall Mm -hmm. show up in an episode of odd squad because it's a little bit of cognitive dissonance or i'm just like uh oh are they going to is you know what's going to happen here i have no idea obviously nothing untoward would happen on a kid's show but uh, anyway all this to say i think it's Mm -hmm. interesting that some of the edgiest smartest comedians i know end up on these kids shows can you talk a little bit about your your entry point into that world and, and 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 why it makes sense well, first of all, just about Kids in the Hall and Odd Squad. I mean, Odd Squad is a real, real exception, you know, to a lot of kids' TV rules, especially, you know, a live-action kids' show in general is sort of an anomaly, kind of, you know, and like unless it's a tween sitcom kind of thing. But, you know, anything younger than that, you don't always see. Or if you do, it's kind of not a total ensemble like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like a... And uh, it has a good sense of humor, the show. And it was started, you know, Mark DeAngelis, uh, who's been one of the showrunners for a really long time uh, since it started, uh, is really connected to the world of comedy, you know, and really connected to funny people and a hilarious, smart person. And uh, what's his, uh, Sorry, Nick, what's Mark's background? I believe it's in uh, sketch and improv, I think. And I know he's done acting. We have the same acting agent and uh you know mark is just he's just a real force and uh tim mckeon and adam peltzman who created the show they have a very special uh take on things they're american i think adam worked on um the uh 
electric company. And I know that Tim did as well. And then Tim, you know, is connected. He knows comedy people. He's, he lives in Los Angeles. And, um, yeah, so, so the idea of getting kids in the hall. And, and Odd Squad in itself really is one of the prime kid shows that employs a lot of comedians. And, and I think you can trace that back to actually the production company as well, Sinking Ship, because uh, they're just... Um, started by people who went to Ryerson with comedic voices like, you know, Katie Crown or uh, Graham Wagner and Adam Brody and Dave Drolaney, who are also uh, comedians and directors. And and so Blair, um, I think they just knew a lot of comedians, and so it's really easy for them to bring in people. So that's the long answer to why you'll see those. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the also actors, they got to act. Am I right? Yeah, that, that's what I understand. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Act, yeah. Actors got to act. Right. But, <laughs> but um, going back to my story, to what you asked, it was, uh, I had a, a good friend named Ben Joseph who kind of mentored me into children's writing. I was always interested in it. My, my parents had a, a friend named Maureen who worked at Nelvana. So I, I, when I was about 20, I saw a lot of scripts for... Um, Nelvana shows, Nelvana being a pretty prominent animation, you know, producer in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so I was seeing scripts for shows like Brace Face or um, uh, Quads. I don't know if anyone's remembering Quads. I do not remember Quads, no. That, that was by that guy, John Callahan, who is a wheelchair-bound uh, comic book like he wrote kind of single panel comics that were very dark oh he had a whole show called quads oh wow um but i couldn't make heads or tails out of those scripts you know and like how to write them even though i'd tried to learn script writing for a while so ben kind of took me through the process of uh developing show ideas and developing scripts from that and then once we'd done that for like four years Maybe <laughs> three years. Because when I started doing stand-up, Ben was really interested in, you know, brainstorming with me, basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, eventually he had me pitch on shows that were going at, you know, real shows. And then I got a couple of scripts with him. And then I've been writing for about the last six six or seven years. So is that six or seven years of working on sort of kid shows? Is that one of your main things still? It's only kids. It's only really been kids shows. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm starting to pitch again. The last year and a half, especially the last, really, 2016 was just such a transitional year that I didn't. I don't know what happened. I think, I think everybody in the future is just gonna be like, you know, kind of write off 2016 and just go, well, that you know, was a, was a really insane year. Yeah. Doesn't really matter, <laughs> you know. So I lived through it. So as far as I know, and uh, as far as far as you know, <laughs> you lived through it. Well, we're here in it's November. It's November, right? That's true. Late November. That's true. So yeah. one more month, and I'll made it through 2016. That's all I'm happy with. But yeah. So, but besides that year, you know, I've written Odd Squad in season two and a show called Playdate last year, and the, then when I after that, I wound up doing. Some like two commercials and a uh, TV show, so like a little role on a TV show, but it was enough to kind of get me by. And then I moved, started relocating, and, and uh, but before that, yeah, I was like Odd Squad, Day My Boat Went Psycho, Babar, different shows. All right, now, now talk yeah. about this as a, as a comedian who generally writes an act for uh, adults. Uh, talk about the experience of, of writing for kids shows. What what to you is notable about that? about that distinction uh i mean obviously the the content's going to be quite a bit different but do you see because a lot of these kids shows including odd squad they have this educational aspect to them i mm-hmm. mean they're, they're they're episodic in in nature and they're good stories and they're funny but there's usually kind of this mm-hmm. moral educational thing that goes on kind of in the subtext and by the end of the episode it's very apparent uh, yeah. How, well, how has that been? How, is that is that an easy thing to do for you as a writer? Is that difficult for you to kind of balance the, the like I got to make this funny and entertaining, but I'm also trying to tell, uh, give give some kind of lesson to the people watching. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, like, Odd Squad is, like, genuinely math. Like, it's a show where there's actual math lessons. So, yeah, that that's always insane sort of trying to put in there. But that's one of the challenges of Odd Squad, <laughs> for sure. It's just, like, realizing that maybe you don't have, like, a second graders grasp on math you know and, and, it's a challenge for you to but, deal with the math on odd squad uh i mean it wasn't it wasn't a deal breaker i managed to write five of them so i mean i i, I powered right. through but but uh you know um i think the simple lessons aren't that hard i mean i i just think not every comedian is going to be geared towards writing kids TV. In Canada, the sad fact of it is that, you know, uh, getting into a writing career is the, one of the only really profitable ways to have a, a full career, I think, as an entertainer. You know, I, I, I guess acting, you can do it, but it's a small pool. Writing is one of the only ones, and even writing is is kind of tricky you know if it's live action because there's only so many shows animation it's it's a very fertile 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 <laughs> Fert it's hard i don't know how to pronounce it but it's it's very it can be impregnated okay easily. sure yeah and no no it's a, it's a it's a, it's an area where there are more jobs but that being said it's actually a very hotly contested field mm -hmm. And in, in fact, I think that being, this is a real problem I face, like being a comedian, uh, being an actor, being a musician, whatever you are on the side, you know, at some point, it, it's, it's, it's just the people who are working around the clock at kids television are doing just that, you know, like they are working all the time on it. They don't have a necessarily like a second career that they're trying to do. So, so they're very dedicated and they're working uh, the most. So it's kind of hard to work consistently when you're doing something else, just because of the level that, you know, the people who are working full time at it are at. That being said, you know, it, I think it isn't just like being a funny person that you can't just be that and write a kid's show. You need to have, a real understanding of, you know, structure and you have to, and finishing things, you know, and, and, and not just finishing, you know, finishing staged, like writing a script is not as much of a blast as, you know, it's not you and a couple, your friend in a hat in some office, mm. you know, just like dictating, tinctures dictating to each other. I, I wish it were, but it seems like in Los Angeles, it's like that more. <laughs> you, it's just like people goofing off in an office? I just think that here there's a lot more cult of personality around performers. So they get handed writing jobs and then they get paired with experienced writers. And then you kind of get this uh, two guys in an office, one of whom is goofing off. Right, right. Kind of thing, right. you know. And I, I think it happens in Canada, but like I, I, I think that it's a lot, it's pretty regimented in Canada, you know. Right, okay. And so you're, you're, uh, you find the, the the work in children's entertainment to be fulfilling for you creatively. I'm attuned to it. I'm good with it. I mean, I'm a very silly person, I think, underneath everything, you know? So it's like I would rather think about rainbows and unicorns and, you know, uh, glop that comes alive and, you, you know, some kids have to figure out how to get rid of the glop than... than you know, a lot of other things, you know, and that's not to say I get along with children, but no one was, no I, one was going to suggest that, Nick. Uh, no, I do get along with children, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's it's um, there is a total disconnect, though, between kids writing and, uh, you know, children themselves. Is that is that right? Because I think as a, a you know, I'm a dad now and I feel like I, uh, I I've been quite immersed in the uh, cultural interest of my two small children, uh, mm -hmm. this has not given me delusions of grandeur that I could write uh, some kind of kids show. But it does. Um, the kids, the kids, my kids are kind of discerning, right? They'll, they'll reject certain shows and uh, accept others, um, and so you you do get a sense of what they like and don't like, and they're kind of. 
I have a little tiny focus group in my house about kids programming. So I do feel like I have a bit of uh, a sense of what works and what doesn't work. But you, I mean, you're, you're not a, a parent, I don't believe, are you? No, I'm not. Not as far as I know. Right. And so your interaction, you're not uh, spitballing ideas with kids around you. Um, no, I mean, maybe I've, I've, I've met, I've hung out with some of my friends' kids and they've talked about Odd Squad with me in the past, but not lately. It's a, like if they're, they're like, it'd be really cool if Miss O right. had, uh, a Japanese lover. You'd yeah. be like, what? That's weird. Well, you, I def- you would, I, yeah, I'd want to ask the parents if, if they had a question. <laughs> like that. You'd want to ask the parents about that note. Yeah, I'd definitely say that's why would they right. say that. But, you know, right. the stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 would, I definitely would talk to kids about what the show, what was going on with the show. And I think, I think it's important to talk to the audience about what you don't lose touch with the people you're writing for, you know, which I think can definitely be an issue with kids shows and can definitely be an issue with regular TV shows and, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can be an issue with almost everything, you know, it's a, in the No, arts. it's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's difficult to get, you're in a weird position because your audience is among the most fickle audiences of any entertainment realm. You find them fickle? Oh yeah. They'll like a thing and then they won't on the way to see Raffi, they'll be super excited and then they get there and like two songs in, they'll be like, I want to go home. You know, like they don't, it's, you can't predict how they're going to like, whether they're going to like something that they like even. It's mm-hmm. very, com- very complicated. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder why. Well, I mean, and, and like you say, you, you can sort of relate uh, just because you're silly. You say you can kind of relate to, or at least you presume you can relate to to what kids might be into, right? Sillier kids. I mean, I'm sure there's kids that would go like, what you want to do is dumb. But I mean, you know, it's not even that I'm silly. It's just more that like I'm adaptable, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, yeah. and, and uh, I, I just, you know, I, I think that kids are really going to just want to have a story that follows story structure, you know, and su- also surprises them. So, you know, if you provide that, and they like the characters, you know, that's, your job is basically done. And, and, you know, these shows get sent to so many markets, you know, and they get sent to so many different worlds of kids, whether it's like an educational thing where they're seeing these in school maybe, or, or they're, you know, watching it in French, or they're watching it somewhere else where certain types of characters resonate more. I mean... There's so much space for these places to be, to succeed that, yeah. you know, I think, I think that's, that's the difference also with like te- children's programming is it's just like far more worldwide, you know, everyone is, is going to want to make their kids look at a screen. <laughs> yeah. At some know, point. So they can take a break. Yeah. Yeah. Now getting back to. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, you uh, on Odd Squad and the kids in the hall on Odd Squad. One of the things that I'm I'm really interested in is this notion that uh, there are certain kids programs uh, and the writers who will maybe sneak in some jokes that are meant for the parents or some ideas that aren't necessarily. They're going to maybe go a little bit over 
kids' heads, and they're sort of sly. Like when I first saw kids in the hall in that episode of Odd Squad, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a thing for me as a, yeah. an adult, right? And there's certain other performers who I think do that. Is that do you ever do that as a writer? Do you or is that is that ever a direction of that you see I shows mean, going in? I think Odd Squad has a lot of jokes that are like parent friendly, but I think that that type of humor, you know, when a kid kind of likes that, it feels good for them, you know. If, if, so it's not something I, I don't write those kinds of jokes thinking that a child won't like them, you know. Well, of course In fact, not. Yeah. Those, yeah. those are probably the, a lot of the time the ones that they'll notice too, you know, and they'll probably enjoy it more that it's shared between maybe they can laugh with their parents about it, you know. So, so I think with Odd Squad, that's part of the intent, but I get the sense that it's, it's always aimed at making, like, the kid laughing is related to the people laughing in the room, I'm pretty sure, when they come up with the joke. Well, that's good. No, I just, I wonder how much awareness of that stuff goes on. I mean, uh, you know, if someone were to ask me, someone were to ask me the same question based on something they observed, I might be like, oh, I hadn't noticed that. I didn't, I hadn't thought of that. But it sounds like you're vaguely cognizant or conscious of that stuff, this idea of like, there's parents watching it, there's grandparents watching it. You know, they don't want to be bored having to watch this stuff with their kids. uh, Because sometimes... I I think that the show... I mean, it was designed, I think, with, to be, I think it was designed to be entertaining, you know, and, and so, and, and I just, I, I, I've heard enough that it crosses over, uh, you know, to older people, like, they enjoy watching it too, and I think it even has adolescent fans, I think I heard something about that, but, I mean, ultimately, I'm not the creators, and I'm not, you know, the the people uh, who have written the, there's so many episodes written, you know, so I couldn't claim, you know, what they're aiming for. But I, I, I think that, I like, I watched a kid's show recently on Netflix, and it was a Netflix show, and it had certain jokes that were just like, they snuck in to be like creepy, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, you don't want that either. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. N- that's definitely not happening, you know, with Odd Squad. So if you don't have that happening, I feel like it's always for everybody. Right. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Now, uh, Wiped Privilege is your... Wiped. Well, let's get back to this record. Uh, con- congratulations. This is your second record, right? Yes. Second Thank record you. in six... Is it been, is it been six years since your, uh, your debut is I'm Here All Week? Week is spelled... Uh, Yes. The opposite of strong. Uh, it's, I think yes. it's been six years. Is that is that a, that's a, a that seems like a long time between comedy records? But at the same time, the fact that you've even released comedy records uh, should be enough for uh, people like me not to complain about how yeah, long you. you've uh, taken between them. Well, you know, I mean, that, I, I I tried to record a few other times, and uh, like I think there was one other recording I did, you know, maybe two years ago with two guys on camera and I just don't think the sound, I had never really figured out how to add the sound into it. And I was kind of still in between some styles. So in the end, I just kind of forged along and kept writing and uh, left that material mostly, um, mostly just in the past. So then, you know, by 2016, I'd, uh, kind of settled on style for the minute and for the last couple of years and it had kind of improved and then I just uh recorded you know it just was time so it just went next thing you know it was two years I was always trying to record but it takes I think it takes a long time to come up with it I mean maybe I could have come up with it a little faster but you know, there's right. no, no. You, you you sound like you were busy for one thing, but I do. I want to go back to what you were saying about the style thing because that's fascinating to me. Do you feel like when you say style, is that your voice? So you did you feel like you weren't I mean, kind of didn't feel like your voice was established quite yet? I don't know if it was established. I think it just it just shifted, you know, a little bit. Uh, in, from what to what? From the first album to the next album, you know. In fact, I think that the way that the first album started was like, I was uh, like, 
at the end of a style. Like I was kind of like at the end of doing one-liner jokes and kind of stuff that wasn't that involved with who I really am and sort of summing things up. As headlines say in clickbait now, you know, these six words sum up everything, you know, like <laughs> doing that kind of thing. And then if I, I, reviews of it even were sort of saying that it was like a comedy style that felt like Twitter. So, you know, after 2010, Twitter only got larger and larger and everybody was writing who they are and everyone's expressing themselves at all times. So... I just uh, kind of leaned in as, as I think it's that's an, a sentence that's that's a sentiment that's aimed towards men, right? Men are supposed to lean in, right? I, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of kept going, and you know, was happy with what I was getting. So I just kept doing that. <laughs> I mean, and, but 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 your social media uh, presence is still there's you you seem to drop one or two uh, really funny one-liners every day. Well, that's nice of you to say. Um, I I I mean, I guess I I, I still am writing jokes uh, and I'm still putting them in my act. I just am. Um, I guess I got more concerned with like being connecting with the audience as much as I could. You know, mm-hmm. um, someone said that was a good idea once so no it, it i think it is <laughs> you we are if not still at the tail end of a, a real wave and confessional comedy uh, yeah i mean i don't even know if it's the same as confessing up there i think that it's it's more about you know relating with them or resonating with them you know uh and it can be bigger than if your your mouth is telling the truth you know it's more about what you're <laughs> sure. kind of saying you know well, I have, I've, I've also seen a resurgence in um, comedians who keep their distance a little bit. They're not necessarily telling personal stories. They're, like they who? are. Well, I mean, I, I, I still think that um, Dimitri Martin is really amazing at this still. I saw him recently, and I was really impressed with just how almost old school, like just, just mm-hmm. you know, set up punchline every Every two seconds, just like a nonstop, non sequitur thing. I think, uh, you know, Anthony Jeselnik is that's his whole thing, just like being yeah. a joke machine. You know, not. I mean, he's come up with a persona that is a. Anyway, there's just certain people that I've seen it. I'm seeing it happen a little. It's kind of like, uh, have you heard like Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah. That guy, he doesn't, you don't really get a sense of him necessarily, like a, <clears throat> the way you might with uh, almost every other comedian with a podcast. Yeah, Jerry Seinfeld's like that. And, you know, I, I, think, I think the comedy is like a, I mean, that's the weird thing. As much as relatability and that kind of res- resonance, whatever, is important with the crowd or connecting with the crowd is important. I don't think comedy is necessarily the most personal form like i don't think you're getting somebody's unfiltered self you know when no. you, when you see them it's performative um, it's a performative it's an exaggerated version of themselves at best there's so many interesting types of comedians around nowadays you know on the so i guess what i'm trying to say is like someone like say rory scovel right mm-hmm. or you know who goes up there and um from what i can tell pretty much wings it you know on stage uh, and get something really palpable out of the audience to somebody like, you know, Aparna Nancharla, Nancharla, who's like, um, being confessional, but also in the realm of one liners, but then always kind of goes a little further. And then... yeah, it's an exaggerated personal, I mean, you know, I think one of her greatest jokes is or she, she writes these amazing jokes about her grapples with depression. And uh, they almost they it's like you're it's like you're getting some insight into her, but they're also just such disarming jokes. Do you know grapples with depression is um, it's very sad that um, an, a grape and apple would combine and still be depressed. You know, <laughs> grapples, grapples, depression. You know, 
A grape and an apple? You're oh, right. a One grape. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. A grapple. Jeez, I, you, grapple. That's right. There you go. Grapple. Right. A gra- that's, but, that's probably true. Yes, that's true. Yes. Yeah. But, but you're totally right. And, um, you know, so that's, I just think, you know, there, and there definitely is room for the uh, um, comic who is, uh, you know, doing one-liners and jokes kind of more than ever. Because I think, I kind of think that the confessional thing is, um, I think it's overblown. I think no one is really truly confessing to the crowd. I think that, you know, uh, and uh, I think that the people who are doing that type of comedy best right now um, generally are such veterans that um, there's something else going on. Yeah. And there's a, and there's a knowledge of uh, pacing, you know, and a natural sort of jokey rhythm or whatever, you know, and I think I'm like a weird Frankenstein at this point. It's like such a Frankenstein thing, but I mean, I thought that's why I was happy with the, the album, you know, putting out the album when I did and recording it when I did, because I was like, I was really, I just thought it was like an interesting style that I'd kind of fallen into. That was an extension of what I'd been doing before, but was not the same. Well, you, you call the record "Wiped Privilege," uh, which uh, <laughs> where uh, at the time you named it, I don't. Well, maybe you you knew what you were getting yourself into uh, politically this year. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, where we're in an age where white privilege uh, is really being uh, dissected, uh, uh, analyzed. Mm. In some uh, some cases, it's really being amplified as a as a cause uh, by certain members uh, of the white community um, really want to talk about uh, the disparity in terms of how they feel like they've been treated. I mean, you're, so yeah, you've got that. I mean, there's a bit on your record where you kind of touch upon in a silly way, political correctness. You know, there's just a few telling timely things about this record. And as a Canadian living in America right now, how do you feel about that in terms of what's been happening in the country? Well, I mean, yeah, that was the other thing as I was writing about, I had some jokes, you know, and an overlying kind of feel, I thought that was kind of about, um, what's going on and what everyone's feeling. Uh, <laughs> or what some of us are feeling. I mean, I called it wiped privilege because it's basically based on one of the jokes there where it's the idea that, like, I'm abusing the concept of privilege, you know? Like, I'm just, like, ruining the idea of having privilege by bungling so yes. much that it's like I don't have privilege. Like, I've been so dumb that I'm actually eliminating my own privilege right. via, via idiocy. Um, and uh, I think that... Uh, I mean, and I made those jokes about political correctness because, again, there's just like a contradiction at the center of it where it's like, you know, sensitivity to everybody's... Den- denying that what you're doing affects people, denying that you're sort of labeling someone some way or that you're speaking in a shorthand that reduces someone to uh, less than who they are, you know, is... Uh, you need to admit you're doing that. <laughs> right. You know, like, like, you're not, you can't just say that, oh, uh, suck it up, buttercup. You know, it's like, I don't know you. Most of the time it's when you don't know saying this stuff. So it's like, why on earth should I accept you telling me to do this? Um, on the other hand, it's kind of like, it's the symptom, not, not the cause. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, whatever the root problem is, is not going to be solved by you know, focusing for too long on, you know, the someone saying something offensive because, well, they're already out there doing that. You know, it's like, <laughs> so I think, I think that right, you know, and I think that that did hit such a, came to such a head this year, you know, like there was obviously with the election, you know, I, I think that, And what the problem is, there's so much spin on why it happened, and I don't know if the reality of why it happened is the spin, you know? Like, I don't know if, I don't know if the idea of social justice warriors and, and, uh, you know, political correctness, I don't know if that actually is something that drove people so bonkers that they had to vote Trump, (laughs) 
No, <laughs> no, but he because... but he did tap into the <laughs> the resentment for it as a form of elitism, um, which is uh, and, well, and just uh, I think he tapped into a, a general resentment for. This is going to sound very elitist, but like enlightened thinking and and uh, you know rational treatment of each other. I don't know why that uh, well, wasn't why that's a debatable uh, thing. I don't understand. Well, I just think it's it's been it's really weird. Comedy is at a very weird point too. You know, like most people doing comedy are like these are like white college grads, probably upper middle class. And you know, if you take the, uh, uh, I'm talking about America sure. here. You know, sure. and if you take you take you take you know a Twitter say that's just all those comedians, and it's basically people all talking like David Cross, you know, in this kind of like, like, oh, I'm sorry, you're you know, like I can't believe you would do this. You're you know, it's very very condescending, you're for yeah. Not, you know, and and um, of course, if one of us does that, that makes sense because it's to us. You know, if we do that as individuals, as comedians, it's like, well, we're being sarcastic. We're we're heightening how we feel about this. It makes perfect sense. But I think when that kind of combines with like real activism or whatever activism is at this point for most people, which is like kind of donating, retweeting, <laughs> you know, uh, then it. Um, it, it, it can have a negative effect. Well, yeah, yeah. It, I, I think that's. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I'm not trying to blame so-called the victim here, but I, I and I think ultimately, you know, a lot of comedy also has um, the demographics that it's hitting are not necessarily like you don't have to reach a million people to make a living in comedy in the U.S. at this point. You know, you really have to have. Probably about a hundred. You know, I don't know. I don't know what you have to have, but you know, I don't think a million people are watching all the comedy. No, but in there. the so in the election post mortem, I think some people were uh, feeling badly that m- most of what they contributed to the conversation was some form of snark. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't really want to descend hard on our beloved snark <laughs> i just all hail I snark think, yeah no i know what you mean all, all of our stereotypes all of our tropes that we've created about comedians at this point are kind of have i think they've been swallowed by a whale and it's done and we have to just forget it you know we're not mm-hmm, we're not mm-hmm. truth tellers necessarily you know we're not wiser than your average bear necessarily we're not, we're not, you know, like, they're all, everyone is doing different stuff. And, 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 um, I think that, I, I don't know, I'm so confused by this, this period of time, because I think, I think basically a lot, a lot of, you know, the suspended adolescence of America, North America, <laughs> really bit itself in the ass here, you know, like, con- mm-hmm. Con- mm-hmm. contrarianism, and kind of going, well, wait a minute, like, how do you, how do you know, you know, didn't you read this, you know, like, this kind of info wars, conspiration, conspirational, you know, we don't know the whole story uh, thing kind of took over. And I think there were a lot of, and those people got old enough to vote, you know. Well, <laughs> but I do think it's a natural extension of being overwhelmed by information to decide to reject all of it, except for a couple of <laughs> Except for Alex Jones. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, like, you know, in the war of information, not to plug his show, that's kind of what he's, um, people like him are seizing upon. Just this fact that there's so much out there uh, that uh, I'm going to be your source, and if you can... Galvanize, galvanize enough people to do that, then you're, whether you're right or wrong in terms, or, or knowledgeable, I mean, that's just a magic trick uh, of some kind. Anyway, it's a it's a complicated time, Nick, and I I, I worry about you as a fellow Canadian down there, but I, I it sounds like you're doing, not only are you doing well, it sounds like you're thriving. You've got this amazing new record, White Privilege. <laughs> it's out, uh, what is it? It's out December 1st, I think? December, it's, uh, it's December 16th. That's when it'll be available 
Uh, oh, okay. Digitally, uh, I made cassettes through my friends. Oh, label. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Re- resist control. Those will be available December eighth, but just at the um, album release in LA, and um, then hopefully we can mail them out after that. And uh, um, basically, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm thriving. <laughs> but. No, no, you're thriving. I think you are. We have to leave it. At, I want. I want to leave this on a positive note because it was getting down there. But I think you. You. Do you feel good? Do you feel like you're doing okay? Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm on an upswing. I feel like. I, I feel That's, like it's. It's. Uh, up, it's an upswing it, is thriving these it's, days. It's improving. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I can't complain. I mean, I can't complain. I just, I feel like this whole conversation has been a complaint on my part. No, but, but no, uh, don't beat yourself up. I don't think that's true. I was going to ask if you miss home. Like, are you planning to come back to Toronto after? I mean, you have a visa that you have to honor, but would you like to come home at some point? Yeah, you know, I'd, uh, I'd love to, uh, come back. I'm sure I'll be back, you know, um, maybe in the March or February. I don't know yet, but you know, I definitely plan on coming back you're in beautiful california and you want to come to canada in february what uh, why no i mean i'd rather come in march i, I, <laughs> I think february would require you know someone would have to open up their their wallet yeah yeah well we, we do miss you here i, I have to <laughs> oh, say i miss nice. you i, I miss you. seeing you around as rarely as i did i did just missed i kind of when i would drive to toronto i used to think i can just feel the flanagan in the air <laughs> Well, thank you for uh, having me on your shows that you did at Long Winter. And, oh, yes, uh, that's right. Yeah, you were there for those, yeah, and that was fun. And Yeah, we miss you around here. Uh, so I just want to let people know that uh, the record, uh, the information about the record and any upcoming tour dates and, and shows, people can go to theflans.com, and you can follow Nick on Twitter at theflans as mm-hmm. well. Uh, Nick, is there a... A track from the record that we can send people off with? Is there something we can play for people? Oh, um, uh, let me just uh, see here. There's uh, mm. there's Big Mama. There's Thank You for Supporting Live Comedy. Uh, Miraville. Yeah, well, why don't you play Thank You for Supporting Live Comedy? Okay, that is there anything you want to say about that? Why that came to mind? I just think it's, uh, you know, a lot of the time people show up at a bar... And out of nowhere, comedy happens. <laughs> so I and thought you just want to enjoy some, that. Yeah, props to the people who who are there on purpose. Yeah. By the way, on Mailchimp, you're you got three stars on my Mailchimp. Oh, great! All right, so I'm on an upswing. I'm yeah. I'm thriving. You're thriving. You're doing according great. to your Mailchimp. Nick, uh, thank yeah. you for being on the show. Best of luck with everything. I love you, man, and I, I hope we uh, I hope I see you soon. Love you too. Thanks, bud. I'm a little out of sorts. I've got a cold. I always forget what the way to do a cold. Is it, is it feed a cold, starve a fever, eating disorder, a parent's divorce? <laughs> the recipe. Do you guys miss summer? I miss summer. I miss summer very much because that's the only season where it makes sense that I'm sweating as much as I do, constantly, 24-7, around the clock. Like, in the summer, people see me in my thongs, and my thong, and my straw hat. They're like, ah, this wet man is so seasonal. So seasonally appropriate. Come with us to the drum festival near the beach. In the winter, people see me pouring sweat. They're just like, what is on his hard drive? What is on this guy's hard drive? I want to see what's on his hard drive. It's so cold, I want my genitals to warm up using the pornography that is clearly on this man's hard drive. Have you ever cried and sweated at the same time? It's cool. It feels like you're at one with the ocean. Uh, thank you for supporting live comedy. Give yourselves a big round of applause. You're doing it. You came here. You knew specifically that there would be comedy, and you came, which is so different than other circumstances you can have where you are just at a bar, and suddenly comedy 
comes to you without asking. You ever had that happen? You're at some pub. You're local, you know, the Shire and Shirkin. Some, some such respectable establishment. You're just trying to eat a chicken wing without making eye contact with anyone in the world. And out of nowhere, some galoot stands up on not a stage, and he goes, Hey, just want to let everybody know, in ten minutes, we'll be having some live stand-up comedy. Who's ready for the open mic nights? We're going to have 54 of the world's most amateur comedic performers. Really, 54 of the world's most amateur human beings learning to live in front of your eyes using a microphone, inexplicably. And when I get that, when I've been at those kinds of things where suddenly there's an open mic and I want to leave immediately. My stomach clenches. Someone from ISIS may as well have stood up and said, hi, we'll be recruiting slash beheading in 10 minutes. Stick around. There will be mint tea. A sex offender may as well have stood up and said, hi, I'll be explaining my motivation in 10 minutes. Who wants to stick around for an oddly sympathetic time? <laughs> but that 10-minute call is actually a good thing, right? That's like the best thing. Warning people is the best thing you can do. More bars should have it. Bad patrons when they walk in, should just let the entire bar know. I guess they do already, just by their very existence. But they should like go in and go up to everyone and say, hi, I just want to let you know, after like three horrible shots with sexual names, I'm going to start talking to every one of your par life partners without making eye contact with you. And that guy with the trench coat is going to distract you by cornering you about industrial music for 45 minutes. <laughs> You're going to learn 242 things about Front 242. You ever wonder what KMFDM stands for? Oh yeah, you never did? Well, it doesn't matter. You're gonna find out his theory on what it stands for. I do that, like, if I'm in a bar and I don't like the vibe of the place, I, if they don't have Fanta on tap, I'm, I'm like standing up going, hey guys, we're having a stand-up comedy show. The place clears out, nobody ever goes back. It closes, a money mart open in its place. I can cash my checks, everybody wins. You're gonna get back the money I borrowed. <laughs> I think we can all agree. What's the number one problem facing the world today? Political correctness. Yeah, right? Political correctness. It's not starvation. It's not the slow, creeping depression that is eating us like an abyss, just a, a wave covering the entire world. It's not disease. It's a disease called political correctness. I hate how everyone is so politically correct nowadays. Don't you miss the days when you could just barf your disgusting opinion into somebody's face and they didn't feel empowered enough to say anything back? I need a one-sided confrontation if I'm going to leave the house. I can't live in this society. Can we please go back to the days when uncles could just massage you without asking? We're discouraging the gentle art of touch. From his new stand-up record, Wiped Privilege, that was Nick Flanagan, with thank you for supporting live comedy. And if you enjoyed that interview with Nick and learned things about him, uh, please share that with your friends. Thank you for supporting Nick Flanagan's comedy. Speaking of supporting things, this is the 292nd episode of Creative Control of Vishkana. If you like this show... Please do me a favor and go up on uh, the uh, iTunes there and leave a nice review and give it a nice rating because apparently that matters and that's one of the places you can hear the show on iTunes. So please review and rate the show well on iTunes and tell your friends about it. And subscribe. Subscribing is key. 
we would like some more subscribers, so please subscribe. Also, the show exists uh, uh, in, a, in a form on audioboom.com and on my website at vishkana.com. There's ways to uh, download episodes here, uh, all of the archives on my website. You can also go to patreon.com and look us up to make a flexible monthly donation to keep the podcast going. Creative Control is also on Facebook, uh, and we're on Twitter at Vish Creative. And I'm on Twitter at Vishkana, and a version of the show airs every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time at CFRU.ca around the world, or if you're in the area, CFRU 93.3 FM on your radio dial. This show would not be possible without the Bookshelf, which is an independently owned bookstore, bar, music venue, movie theater, and restaurant located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, Ontario. For more information about the Bookshelf's hours, listings, blogs, directions, accessibility, and to order books from their online store from anywhere, anywhere in the world, really, please visit bookshelf.ca. And if you're in the uh, Guelph area, please check out Pizza Trocadero, our finest pizzeria in this city. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas, or you can uh, choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or trocaderoguelph.ca. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery in Guelph. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. More episodes to come before the end of 2016. Lots happening. I hope you checked out the 2016 Year in Review panel featuring some fine people from Toronto. That was the last episode. And there's uh, many more episodes to come before the end of the year. So thank you for listening to the show. Again, review, rate, subscribe on iTunes. That'll help. Do what you can. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.